From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And for this edition, it's my high honor to have as my guest Elizabeth Tomlin, author, attorney, and general counsel here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Elizabeth, welcome back to our microphones. Thanks, Taylor. It's always good to sit with you. It's great to always have you, too, uh, whenever you can get by and talk about whatever we're going to talk about. And today our topic is a new Bible, uh, especially uh, geared toward uh, the uh, uh, women uh, women of the faith. Uh, the new Bible uh, published by Ave Maria Press is called the Live, uh, Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible. And you, Elizabeth... Uh, have written uh, several of the 97 essays that are included in this Bible. Tell me a little bit about the Bible and um, about the essays that you've written for it. Sure. So this this Bible is one that was written by women. Well, obviously, it takes the canon of Scripture, but it adds to it essays written by women about biblical women. So every, every woman you could imagine, from Eve, Mary, um, um, Dinah, Priscilla, Miriam, those are some of the women I wrote about. Um, and it, it invites women to pray with the women of Scripture in the way that they might have experienced what's described in the sacred, um, in the sacred texts and in the way that they saw or recognized or that we might even today recognize God moving in their lives in ways that they might not have. So within the Bible, there's also some reading plans that will help women who say, you know, I've never read the Bible before. How does one even start? So there are liturgical season living plans if you want to come into the Word for the first time during Lent. Um, there's a Lenten reading plan for you. Um, Advent has a reading plan. And then if you're ambitious and want to read the entire Bible in one year, there's a reading plan that brings you through the entire Bible in a year chronologically, but also allows you to read each gospel twice. And the reason for that is that when you pair up the Old Testament, what's revealed in the Old is fulfilled in the New, as St. Augustine says, you can see the connections of how God has moved in the arc of salvation from the very inception of the world through Revelation, through the revelation of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for us. So to be able to read the Gospels in tandem with the Old Testament really brings the connection that our history um, parallels and and is Israel's history too. Wow. Okay, so you are uh, deeply involved with uh, the uh, the role of women in the Catholic faith. You uh, belong to the Military Council of Catholic Women. You're a a past officer, Mm -hmm. um, past president, I believe, right? Yes. Okay, and um, so um, let's get down into the uh, details of some of the essays that you have written uh, uh, pick one and, and you know tell me about it. So I'm going to go with Priscilla. So um, Priscilla is one of the people who that we we know that ministered with Paul. And when I was asked to write this essay on Priscilla, I did what anybody would do. I opened the Bible and read about Priscilla. And what I realized in this is that she's only mentioned in six verses, and very infrequently does it say Priscilla went to the mountain of blah 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 and said blah, 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 right? Um, What we learn about Priscilla is that they went out 
or Priscilla, Aquila, and Paul went somewhere. But the focus is always on, on Paul and preaching the gospel. So we really know very little about Priscilla in terms of word count, maybe 15 words in the entire canon of scripture. But what I found as I was praying with her and reading the text of her is what emerged for me was the theme of how she and Paul and Aquila loved each other, loved the early church. And, you know, in our faith, we talk about agape love and, and phileo. And in Greek, there's agape phileo and, and, and eros, right? And we talk about um, St. Ben or Pope Benedict XVI talked about um, God's love for us as the ennoblement of, of eros. And what, what Priscilla, I think, exam- gives the example to us is what, what that love might look like in, in a very human way, how she sacrificially um, followed Paul. Um, served Paul to proclaim the gospel, lived in community with him and with her husband in in a time that was very difficult to do that. And so that we don't have a lot of words, we have no words from Priscilla herself. What we have is a legacy of what our love for each other should look like, what true agape, brotherly love should look like for each other, um, and how we can how we can model that today. And you know, looking back at Priscilla, I found myself increasingly grateful for her because the tradition is we know that Paul was martyred in Rome, but tradition is that Priscilla and her husband were also eventually martyred. But through them and through their preaching, despite persecution and martyrdom, they preserved the faith and they appear for us in some of Paul's um, early epistles. And so those that have made it for us today. So her legacy, um, instructs the way we practice today and it gives us a model and it's amazing what you can glean from scripture from just six verses that maybe even mention her name um, if you sit and and pray and let the word speak to you Um, sometimes we talk about we refer to jesus christ as the word and and he because he is the word and then reading his bible and understanding reading the sacred scriptures and understanding that god god's word truly does speak to us through through the scriptures um, within within the tradition of our faith is is important. Well, I think uh, Priscilla and her husband were a, a couple of means, right? I mean, they, they financed some of, uh, or at least were um, a, a source of uh, support for St. Mm-hmm. Paul's mission. Yes, absolutely. They, they supported him. Um, he traveled. We know he traveled with them, and we know that he stayed with them. So, yes, absolutely. There was... Um, a sense of supporting the mission as well as participating in the mission. And uh, what can we learn uh, from uh, Priscilla's activity uh, in promotion of the spread of the gospel? Uh, What what is the message of her life that comes through uh, in the letters of St. Paul? And I suppose, is she mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles also? She is. She's mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and even 2 Timothy. So she's she's a person who, again, we only have six verses about her, but they're in so many of his epistles that she was integrally important to the work he was doing. So I think I think she can teach us a couple of things. One, she shows us how to love. You know, she, she shows us how to sacrifice. Two, she shows us that it's important in our Christian walk to step out in faith and to serve in the way we're called to within our within our Christian vocation, which really comes through our baptism. Um, and then three, to the extent that we're able to, to support missionaries, to support those who go out 
um, is, is also an important way to propagate the faith. Who are some of the other figures that you wrote essays about? So I also wrote about Miriam in the Old Testament and Dinah in the Old Testament. Um, Miriam is such a hopeful character, and I think as a military spouse, our military community might really appreciate Miriam. If you remember, she was Moses's um, sister and and safeguarded Moses when his mom had to put him into the Nile and because of Pharaoh's uh, cruelty and threats against him. And so Miriam followed with the Israelites out of Egypt and on the night of the Passover making the unleavened bread when they didn't have time to let the bread rise because they had to leave, um, Miriam did something really remarkable. And after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and you know Pharaoh and his Pharaoh's men were um, consumed by the Red Sea, Miriam did something really remarkable. She pulled out a timbrel, a tambourine, from her bag, and she, and it says all the women with her, joined in a song of, of dance and of praise. And this is the very first time in scripture that a song of praise is recorded by a woman. And I think that speaks so much to the hope that she had in God's promises that on a night where they didn't have time to let, they didn't have time to prepare food in the typical fashion that they would, she had the wherewithal to pack an instrument for worship. And as soon as she received, they received, the Israelites received this blessing from God of, of escaping across the sea, she did exactly what we're all called to do. She worshiped. And I think that is a message to us of what, it, what hope looks like and what we are to do in response to God. We are, we are called to worship. God gives us all of these gifts, our lives, in our families. We know that, that God blesses us um, with we're blessed with our very life, with our families, with our jobs, um, with work, food. And um, even even in hard times, we know that God is faithful. And we know that the right thing for us to do is to take this love of God that we have and return it in worship. That's that's the Christian life. And she um, she models that for us as a member of, of Israel. You're listening to Catholic Military Life, the podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry, and my guest today is Elizabeth Tomlin, author, uh, as well as an attorney and general counsel here at the Archdiocese. And we're talking about a new Bible published by Ave Maria Press. It's called the Living uh, called Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible. Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible. And uh, you can uh, go on Ave Maria's press, or pardon me, a website, uh, and uh, find this book under the promo code Living Word sixty two. Am I saying this correctly? Yes, Living Word sixty two, and it's Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible. And uh, the uh, sale price is uh, fifty nine ninety nine. Uh, and uh, now the, there are almost a hundred essays in this. Uh, uh, this uh, Bible, uh, each of which explores uh, a, some particular aspect that's in the Bible. Uh, how did you come to uh, write the essays that you wrote for this edition? Sure. Well, I, 
I've been working with Ave Maria Press for a couple years now. I wrote a book called Joyful Momentum, Growing and Sustaining Vibrant Women's Groups, which is a book that I wrote as a resource to small group parish ministries who say, hey, we want to have a small group Bible study. We want to have a small group faith study, but we don't know how. So that book is really a, a book that guides people from the very beginning of exploring what is what does it look like to have a vocation within ministry, within women's ministry in particular? How is that a call within a call to service? Um, how do I work with my priest? How do I pass the baton to new leaders? So it's a book that explores all of those things, but as a as a Bible study. So there's scripture within every chapter, and and the habit of reading scripture daily is something that's important in my life. So. Um, I was also able to contribute to a, a prayer book for Catholic Catholic women, Catholic mothers through Ave Maria Press that's called the Ave Prayer Book for Catholic Mothers. And so when this Bible project came up, my editor, Heidi Saxton, reached out and asked if I would be willing to contribute. And I was just completely delighted to be able to contribute and to share some of, some of the insights that, um, that I think you know, God, God gives us gifts. Every time we read the scripture, we, we receive more knowledge, more love, um, more joy in this Christian life that we live. And so I was really pleased to be able to join with, um, Heidi and then Sarah Christmeyer, who is the general editor of the Bible, who also worked on the great adventure Bible study that you might be familiar with, and is just a tremendous biblical scholar on this project. And to get so many talented Catholic women authors together on one project was just an absolute treat and so i've really enjoyed flipping through the the bible and seeing how different authors that i know have have interpreted the lives and view the lives of of different biblical women obviously within the magisterium of the church and based on your experience and your writings for the benefit of our listener whether man or woman uh, how do you recommend going about doing daily reading so I think scripture reading, much like anything else we do in life, if you're trying to build a new habit, at first is a discipline. Um, and I would say set aside five minutes, you know, just five minutes of time to open up a good place to start if you're new to reading the Bible would just be the gospel reading of the day or the daily mass readings. That's a way where you can reach into scripture and in a way that our church has already through the liturgy paired up Old Testament Psalm and New Testament. Um, so I would say just five minutes a day with the mass readings would be a good way to start. I usually get up in the morning and I spend about 15 minutes doing my daily reading. And every time I read the Bible, something else sticks out at me that I hadn't thought of before. And I think we Catholics um, are sometimes criticized as, as if we don't know the Bible because we're not very good Bible quoters, but the words of Holy Scripture are just woven into our everyday prayers. When you think of the rosary, right? The prayer of the Our Father comes directly from the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. The words of the Hail Mary come from the Annunciation, Hail full of grace. Um, and sometimes we don't realize that, but when you pair up your prayer with your scripture, it comes out. I was reading yesterday Psalm 104 and noticed, perhaps for the first time, if you're familiar with the Holy Spirit prayer, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love, send forth your spirit, and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. I was reading Psalm 104 and came across the verse, Psalm 104, verse 30, 
when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. So this Catholic prayer that has been so entrenched in my formation for decades yesterday, I realized came straight out of scripture. Sorry, I just slammed the book on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So much of Catholic teaching in the New Testament itself is based on so much of what was already said in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, in fact, a lot of it is, you know, a fulfillment of what was said in the Old Testament, the coming of the Messiah. Um, Tell me some more about the uh, women... um, the women in the Bible that you wrote about in this new book, uh, this new Bible, Living the Word, Christian Women's Bible. Sure. So in the Living the Word Bible, one of the other women I was asked to write about, which was actually a challenge, was Dinah. And um, are you familiar with Dinah, Taylor? Uh, You know, I I know the name, but I can't remember. I can't place, uh, you know, where she fits in the Bible. I'm sorry. No, and I think that's that's a very common thing. She's not one of the more um, prominent people that we talk about. You know, she's not in the in the Old Testament. We know Sarah, Rachel, Leah, or Eve. Um, but Dinah was the daughter of Jacob and Leah, and she has a really tragic story. Um, she was actually attacked. She was raped by a man who saw her and thought he was so lovely that he just couldn't contain himself. And this man subsequently asks for her hand in marriage, and Jacob, knowing that his daughter has been disgraced, um, agrees to it, which is is just abhorrent. Um, it, it really offends any, any decency, right? That's a really terrible thing to have done. And so as the, as the book continues, Dinah's brothers find out about what has happened, and they've decided that they're going to avenge Dinah's honor and, and Dinah's reputation. I don't know if they could restore a reputation in those days, but they agree that Dinah, can mar- that Dinah will marry this individual, but, but the deal is that um, Shechem, the person who wanted to marry her and attacked her, that he and all of his people would need to be circumcised first. Um, as part of the Jewish tradition. And so they are. And so while the entire people, all all the men are recovering from the circumcision, Jacob, um, well, the brothers, Jacob's sons go out with their men and just massacre Shechem and his people. And so you're left at the end of the story going, where is God in this, right? That's That's a terrible thing. So as I was praying with Dinah, what came to me was, what we don't learn in this story is what did Dinah need? Did she want to be avenged? Did she need to be avenged? And it, it made me recall that so often when people act out of vengeance and anger, um, there are victims who have no voices. There are victims who have no one to advocate for them. And so it, it made me think, you know, what did Dinah need to heal? What did she need to, to be made whole? And to really take into prayer the people who, who are victims with no one to advocate for them. So victims of of sexual violence, for example, like Dinah, um, the unborn, for example. And it's it's a way that when I started writing this essay, I was like, couldn't they have given me someone easier? But the more I thought about it, the more I I thought, no, it's, it's important to pull out these stories that challenge us. Because I think one of the themes that comes out of this this story and one of the lessons is that it reminds us that God alone is the righteous judge in this. Dinah's brothers were not. And we know that God hates vengeance and that God hates violence like this. God 
hates this sort of thing. It reminds us that God, God alone is the righteous judge and that this sort of victim, this sort of victimization is something that the church today is called to fight against. And I think we do really good work um, advocating for those who who are vulnerable. The USCCB has a Walking with Moms in Need program um, to help to help women who need the support of the church through pregnancy or single parenthood. And Archbishop Brolio is a tremendous advocate for the unborn in a society that that doesn't seem to think that these people need any voice whatsoever. And and of course, this is a very a story that reminds us that we have to protect we have to protect women. You have to speak out against sexual violence and, and things like that. And Archbishop Timothy Brolio just elected uh, president of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, who marches almost every year in the March for Life. Uh, as he did this year uh, for the first time since the Dobbs decision came down uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, You know, a lot of the secularists and uh, atheists, people who don't um, believe in God, don't certainly don't believe in the Catholic faith and Christianity, uh, one of the things you hear a lot from them is is it's a a male-driven, antiquated uh, belief system that uh, puts, you know, the, the man over the woman and uh, what are your thoughts on that you know what, what what is what is the woman's place in in our Christian faith oh our our faith is to bring Christ into the world that's what our blessed mother did she was the tabernacle from whom Jesus came into the world and St. John Paul II in his letter to women says, you know, thank you women who are mothers. Thank you women who are, thank you women who are. And he goes off on this litany that I don't have in front of me, so I don't want to botch it. But he thanks women for everything they do within within their lives. Thank you women who are working. Thank you women who um, are consecrated religious. Thank you. And I I think that our church, our, our church is, is emphatic that the dignity of women is important. Mulieris Dignitatum is one of St. John Paul II's pinnacle works on the, on the dignity of women. Um, and women have a vibrant and active role in, in the church. You know, I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm an army wife, I'm a lay woman, and I also happen to be the attorney for this archdiocese. Um, I'm the only attorney who works for this archdiocese. So I think that speaks a lot to you know, Archbishop Brolio's faith in me. Um, we have many women within this archdiocese who are leaders. But within that, I think, you know, St. John Paul II talks about the, the feminine genius. And it's this intuition. Um, it's an intuition that women have in the way that we propagate the faith, um, in the way that we serve the church. And our vocation as women, or the vocation of women comes through our baptism. You know, we receive the Holy Spirit we're incorporated into the into the body of Christ, <clears throat> and that vocation is particular to each woman, and it's something that that God provides to us, to which God calls us, and um, to the extent that somebody might think that that is antiquated, I don't. It's not. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's it's an argument. So it's an argument that I I wouldn't even be able to entertain. Um, because I know that through my baptism, I received the same baptism, Taylor, as you received. You receive a particular vocation um, with with regard to your gifts and your talents and um, 
by dint of being a man, I receive a particular vocation through my gifts, my talents, by dint of being a woman. And I was called to motherhood. Um, I think my profession as an attorney serving this church, as an author writing for Catholic audiences to promote the love of Christ is part of my vocation as well. And I've, um, I've never felt like my vocation is less important. Yeah, I think any of us who spends any time with Christ and reads the Bible uh, can understand that, no, uh, Christ didn't preach a message of chauvinism and misogynistic attitudes about things. You can cite numerous uh, examples where he um, promoted uh, women and uh, professed their equality with men. Um, St. Mary Magdalene comes to mind, right? On the day of the resurrection, to whom did he appear first? St. Mary Magdalene. And she ran and told the apostles, and they subsequently ran. And we know that um, one of the apostles got there first because he told us he did. Um, But for that reason, the church honors Mary, Mary Magdalene as the apostle to the apostles, which and her feast day is on parody with the feast of the with the feast of the other apostles. In the few minutes we have left, I'm curious to know. Um, you write these books, uh, Joyful Momentum. Uh, you uh, have written several essays for the uh, Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible just out. How do you go about uh, reflecting and coming up with words that uh, share your faith in a meaningful way? Well. A couple ways. One is definitely prayer. Um, and when you spend time in scripture, you make more and more connections between the books um, and in what's going on in life. I, I try to be a good listener to what people around me are going through and try to take that to prayer and see where scripture might speak to that. So I just wrote an essay. I'm, I'm launching my middle child into college and, and feeling a little angst and anxiety about all of that. And so I just wrote an essay for CatholicMom.com on um, prayers for letting your child leave the nest, prayers for the mom who's sending their child out into the world. But I'm also, um, it's, it's important to me that if I'm going to write about the Catholic faith, I'm going to do so with as much formation as possible. So I'm working through a master's in theology program through the University of Notre Dame right now, which has just been a gift to um to do and they were gracious to give me a scholarship to do so so i've appreciated that as well but again working through scripture in some ways um it's a discipline and to make the time to do it to make it a routine to do it um you write a book by getting up in the morning and doing the writing and that's it's, it's a discipline. And I suppose by the writing itself, you gain insight into what into the topic of what you're writing about, right? It forces you to go inside and think. Yeah, it forces you to re- reflect and take it to heart. It also, you know, when you write a book, someone, someone gets Joyful Momentum, for example, and it's a 160-page book. What they don't know is how many books I read to research to write that book, how many letters of Augustine and, and homilies um, that I read and things by Pope Benedict and St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, all the saints that I, that I read to go into that book. And so I think there's, there's spiritual formation, certainly faith formation that happens in the process of research and writing and prayer and reflection. I got you. Okay, well, um, 
Elizabeth Tomlin, author, attorney, uh, general counsel here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services, and contributor to the new Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, published by Ave Maria Press. Uh, you can go on Ave Maria's um, website, and uh, the promo code is Living Word. That's one word, Living Word six two, uh, and order the book there. Now it's available now, right? Absolutely, it's available now. Okay, and uh, uh, thank you so much. Any closing thoughts before we uh, we go? Uh, any 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 words you would like to leave the 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 women out there who are striving to become better followers of Christ? I think. First Peter is a verse from First Peter that says, always be prepared to give a reason for your hope. And through forming yourself in scripture, that's one way to do that. Um, but also stay close to the sacraments. The daily mass is available to so many of us. And to go and to sit with Jesus and to receive Jesus in the Eucharist is the most important way, I think, to grow. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve serve.